BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all and live your best life. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. So excited about this one today. A lot of people requested this. I'm talking to Harley Pasternak who is my trainer, also a lot of other more important people's trainer. He is also a seven-time best-selling author. He's helped transform the physiques of Catwoman, Green Hornet, Spider-Man, X-Men, Transformers, and countless others for over 120 film and TV projects, as well as music stars like Rihanna, Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Adam Levine, Bono, Ariana Grande, Charlie Puth, Alicia Keys, Kanye West, and many, many more. He holds master's degrees in nutritional science and exercise physiology, as well as undergraduate degrees in kinesiology and food sciences. He also serves as the global advisor for fitness to the Four Seasons Hotels and acts as an advisor to Aloe, Propel, Form, Hyperice, and Fitbit. So today we are getting into so many different topics and a lot of your questions that I had you send in on Instagram including how his approach to fitness and nutrition has evolved over the years. We talk about kind of these five core pillars of health that he has all of his clients focus on after exhaustive research. We talk about, of course, steps, how to incorporate more steps and movement into your day. We talk about the importance of sleep, what kind of exercise is best, what to aim for when it comes to nutrition. We talk how to lose fat and gain muscle. And we talk about diet myths, exercise myths. And he also takes your questions, including how much protein to aim for, what we should all stop doing when it comes to wellness and simple ways to just improve your lifestyle today. One disclaimer is that I recorded this when I was a little under the weather, a little bit of a fever haze. And for whatever reason, even though I was holding a microphone, the audio picked up through my MacBook speakers, which I was nowhere near. So hopefully Brian can do his magic in post-production here and clean it up and make the audio sound crisp. But if I sound a little bit lower quality than usual, that's why. 
obviously just try to focus on the content because Harley has so much knowledge and wisdom to share. And you definitely don't want to miss this episode. And he's going to come back for more. So with that, enjoy Harley Pasternak. So I was just saying to Harley off mic that I have my questions for him, but then we obviously got so many questions sent in on Instagram. So we'll try to do our best to answer all of those today. Right. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Nice to see you. (laughs) All right. So for anybody not familiar with you, can you just give the listener a little background on who you are and what you do? Yeah. My name is Harley Pasternak, and for 31 years, uh, I've been writing food and fitness books. I've written eight best-selling books in 24 countries in eight languages, and I've taken care of the health of um, everyone from Katy Perry and Rihanna and Lady Gaga to Ariana Grande and Megan Fox to Halle Berry and uh, Spider-Man, Catwoman, Green Hornet, X-Men, Jesus in the Passion, Moses in the Ten Commandments. And, and of me. course, and of course <laughs> yours truly. You're leaving off the, the A-lister of A-listers there. You finish with the best, always. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I did an episode last week where I was talking about like New Year's kind of resolutions and health and lifestyle and wellness practices that I implemented in the past year. And I kind of introduced people a little bit to your approach to fitness and lifestyle in that episode. But I said that we would wait until I had you on so that you could break it down for everybody. And what I found so interesting when I first met you was how your approach has changed over the years. So could you explain how you started and then how it evolved and what your approach is like now? So I started, originally I was a hockey player in Canada. I took too many, too many blows to the head. And um, obviously. obviously. <laughs> and then I spent the next 10 years of university in academia and research. I got recruited by the military where I ran a nutrition laboratory for the Department of National Defense and started a training business that catered to all the Hollywood actors that would come to Canada to shoot feature films. And I had them all on a very strict diet And they would all come an hour before our workouts and I would shackle them to the treadmill or the elliptical and they would do cardio. And then we do this long exhaustive workout and then a cardio cool down at the end. And and it worked. And when people needed to look at, look their best for a a project, they did. And then I wouldn't hear from them for the next year and a half until their next role when they gained a bunch of weight in between. And then all of a sudden cell phones got cameras on them and then became blogs and then social media and high profile people realized, wait, I can't just look good when I'm on camera because when I go to Whole Foods in between and I'm 40 pounds heavier, people take my picture and post it. People will realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm going up and down and up and down. So I decided we have to change our approach. What I was having people do worked, but it took a lot of time, a lot of energy and it wasn't sustainable. So I got a few of my grad students to collect every single study that they could find published in the last 30 years on things to to increase metabolism, burn body fat, change body composition. And they came up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things from putting spices in your food to only drinking cold liquids to always taking the stairs. And we distilled it down to five things. And what are the five things that all of us need to do every single day to look our best? 
not even feel our best. You and I talked about it. I don't care how you feel. Mm-hmm. I just care that you feel like you look your best. <laughs> and the first yeah, is steps. Said to me, I don't care. I don't care how you feel inside. I don't care if you're happy. I care about how you look. <laughs> it, it, well, I do. I care that you feel that you look good. So that <laughs> is. <laughs> We're going to get canceled before the end of this episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not kidding. The first of the five daily habits. And you, by the way, people out there might already be doing one of these five or two of these five. And it's the one or two or three of them that they're not doing. That's the difference between them feeling and looking their best. The first is steps. So years ago, I took almost a full year off my practice and I traveled to the 10 healthiest countries in the world. I wanted to understand why are they living a decade and a half longer than we are in Japan? Why are people living a decade longer than us in, in Italy? And what are they doing and how are they eating their food? And the one thing that all these countries have in common is they all move three to four times as much per day as we do here in the United States. So I gave the number of 12,000 steps per day is what we need to be moving. And if you go to all those countries, they're all moving in excess of 11,000 steps a day. And that includes children and elderly. And what's great about steps, as you know, and you've adopted this pretty quickly, is you don't need a special outfit to do steps or special shoes or plan time in your day to walk. It's just something that we weave in and it adds up throughout the course of the day. And I mean, you've exceeded any expectation for steps. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the way that I've made it work for me though, is I'm like, okay, I know that when I wake up, I'm going to walk my dog. That's 2,500 steps. And then Mm -hmm. I have a treadmill so I can come back and I can do an hour of like a moderate pace walk while I'm doing emails and like responding to anybody and planning out my calendar and whatever work that I have to do before the day. And so then I can do like eight to 10 in that hour, maybe eight in that hour. And then I know going about my day, I'm probably going to get like 5k and then if I walk the dog again, that's another 2.5. So I realized that like, I have a few things going for me. I have a treadmill, I have a flexible schedule, and I live in a pretty like moderate climate where I can go and walk around all day and take meetings outside if I have to and weave it in that way. But one of the main questions actually that we did get was, how can somebody weave that into their day if they're living somewhere where it's freezing outside? They work crazy hours. They have kids, like all of these constraints um, that I don't have. You're screwed. <laughs> no, I, I think, first of all, we do the best we can do. You know, and I have some people message me and say, I, I've got this commitment and that and work and kids and this and all kinds of stuff. And money is a challenge. And, you know, what do I do? And I say, first of all, do the best you can do. Don't compare yourself to someone else. And whatever you're doing now, if you can just do better, than what you're doing now, forget about anyone else, then you're, you're, you're in the right direction. And over time we can build and we can add to this. So the second thing is for me, I got rid of my coffee machine at home. And so in the mornings I take my, my daughter, uh, my son doesn't want to come, but I take my daughter for a walk and we walk to the coffee shop and it's time that we have with each other. It's steps. We get there, I get a coffee, we walk back. So we start the day with that step count. I'm very lucky in that I made a decision many years ago to always live near work. So I walk to work every day and it's about a 15 minute walk. Another thing I do is when I have a phone call, I never sit when I have a phone call. We have cell phones, cell phones have no wires. I get up and I walk when I'm on the phone. Like you, I'm lucky I have access to a treadmill. 
when I want to watch sports, my deal is I'm not going to sit on the couch and just veg out. I'm going to walk really slowly. So to, to everyone, there's a different thing. If you've got plans with a friend and instead of going to a coffee shop to meet a friend, why don't you, you know, go to that coffee shop, get the coffee and walk for the next hour with that friend with the coffee and then come back. So weaving it into your day, I think is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said something to me when I first met with you, that was like, unless you're like sleeping or eating, I can't remember if there's a third one. You shouldn't be sedentary. Sleeping, eating, or having sex. Those are the three things that probably you should not be walking as you do. <laughs> I was going to say, that's not exactly sedentary though. So <laughs> Exactly. So it's fine. <laughs> counts. Counts. But yeah, I mean, um, I did find that after you made me more cognizant of that, I did find so many pockets in my day and just things that I would do when I was normally sitting that I could do walking around. And I think that people hear, you know, 10K steps or 12K or whatever the number is and think, okay, I have to put on my walking shoes and put on a sports bra and work up a sweat. And that was another thing people asked, like what incline on the treadmill and what speed and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, totally depends. Get get it done. Whatever works for you. Right. Yeah my wife has a really bad back and she she's not good at sitting. And so for her business, she actually puts her laptop on the treadmill. She puts it at about two miles an hour, which is a snail's pace. There's no incline. She's wearing jeans, not like she's wearing workout attire. And she walks so slowly and she does emails and she does phone calls. And at the end of the day, she, you know, she's done eight, nine miles. She's not sweating. She's not huffing and puffing. She's not tired. She feels energized. And guess what? She doesn't have to go do any form of cardio after. She's done for the day. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first of those five habits is move. And you have no excuse. Okay. And I have one more follow-up question to that though. What are the benefits? How can it benefit your body? How can it benefit your mind? I mean, I can speak to it anecdotally, but you have like the research and the expertise to back it up. So a lot of people are like, well, can you lose weight or can it change your body composition? What can it do for you? There is an inverse relationship to the intensity of movement and fat burn as a percentage of calories. So the more intense you move, so let's say sprinting, sprinting burns primarily carbohydrates. Walking burns primarily fat. Now you burn more calories per minute of sprinting than you do per minute of walking, but the majority of the calories that you burn walking are from fat versus sprinting. And you can do a lot more walking, a lot more minutes of walking than you can of sprinting. And there's also a direct relationship between the intensity of cardio and appetite. You know, you go for a hard run, you'll work up an appetite. You walk around the block a couple of times, you're not gonna walk back in and say, I'm ravenous. I just walked around the block a couple of times. There's also a direct relationship between the intensity of cardio and injuries. People generally don't get an injury going for a walk, but going for, you do? In the beginning, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's something we should talk about. It's fragile. Ha- having correct footwear, I think is really important. And you had shoes that, that didn't work for you. And mm-hmm. we thought you had a really bad messed up foot and all of a sudden, you change shoes and you, you walk more than everyone else in the world. <laughs> yeah. Very important. Yes. I, I had like a stress fracture or something initially yeah. just from the repetition and yeah. not having appropriate shoes. So 
Yeah, that's important. And the, and the one thing I didn't mention is for people out there who deal with anxiety, stress, depression, I think walking for me is the greatest form of meditation. Some people meditate literally and sit down across their legs and meditate. And I think they, they love it and it works for them. For me, I find meditation and movement to be better. And so the walking is very meditative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feeling your best has so much to do with what we put into our bodies. And if you are trying to get more plant-rich foods, more nutritious meals, fruits and vegetables, all of that into your diet this year, Saqqara is perfect because Saqqara helps you not just live a healthy, balanced lifestyle, but truly enjoy it with delicious plant-rich meals. And they also have functional wellness essentials. So if you're not familiar with Saqqara, they are a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. And they give you the tools that you need to transform your life with their organic ready to eat meal delivery program. So the program is nutritionally designed, chef crafted. They have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all made with powerful plant-based ingredients, helping to boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's delivered right to your door, so it's really convenient, especially if you don't have time to cook or you don't know where to start. And I actually talked about how I incorporate it into my life in my podcast episode from last week. So make sure you go back to check that out. And basically, I was saying they're amazing. Even if you're not plant-based, it's a really good way to make sure that you're getting all of those nutrients and then you can just add some protein if that's your thing or, you know, you can modify it to make it work for you. So aside from delicious meals, and by the way, you can go into their website and put your zip code in and look at the menu for next week so that you can get an idea of what they offer. But aside from all of that, they also have really good protein bars. They have teas. They have granola that's really good. They have their newest snack, which is a super seed and nut blend and so many other products to offer. So they've received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, New York Times, and more. And I know that they are a favorite among a lot of you guys. So right now they are offering my listeners 20% off your first order. If you go to sakara.com slash blondefiles20 or enter the code blondefiles20 at checkout. So that's sakara.com, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash blondefiles20 to get 20% off your first order. One of my goals every year, but that I'm really focusing on this year is really working to manage my stress and also focus on getting really good quality sleep. So you guys know that I meditate and I do therapy and I try to reduce screen time and go to bed early and do all of the things, but sometimes even that isn't enough. So as you know, from listening to Harley in this episode, one of the five pillars of health as he sees it is sleep and he tracks my sleep. I wear an aura ring and Through that, we can see the breakdown of light, REM, and deep sleep. And I have something really interesting to share with you. So I literally get like an hour more of deep sleep a night when I take my NED CBD, which is wild. So it works whether I take the sleep oil or it works if I take the full spectrum hemp oil, which is really interesting. And this is when I'm getting the same amount of steps a day, same kind of structure to my day. The only difference is whether... I use the CBD or not. So if you're struggling with sleep, obviously look at your sleep hygiene, but 
I'm telling you, the stuff really works. So when it comes to choosing CBD, the market is so saturated right now. And it's really important that you get the absolute best quality because just like with low quality food or alcohol or anything you ingest, it can have bad effects if it's not good quality. So NET is the absolute highest quality and they are actually USDA certified organic. So all of NED's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants. It's grown by an independent farmer in Paonia, Colorado. His name is Jonathan. And the products are chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum of active cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, and trichomes. And their full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. So as I mentioned, I love the full spectrum hemp oil, the sleep oil. I also love the de-stress blend. And I also love their magnesium, their mellow magnesium, which does not have CBD in it. And if you want to give it a try, you guys get 15% off of NED products with the code BLONDE. That's B-L-O-N-D-E. All you have to do is visit helloned.com slash blonde to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E to get 15% off. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. Okay. So what are the other four? Uh, the second is sleep. Sleep's supposed to be one third of our life. We are sleeping worse than we ever have in recorded history. And that's primarily because of technology. We're exposed to so much screen time that destroys our sleep quality. We are working longer hours than we ever have in the history of humanity. We are over-caffeinated. We are drinking alcohol at night before bed. We are hyper-stimulated and it's affecting our ability to sleep well and sleep enough. And sleeping well is more important than sleeping enough. We have clients who sleep 10 hours a night and are exhausted. And we have clients who sleep six hours a night and are energized. And it's about the quality of your sleep. Trying to get at least minimum an hour of deep sleep a night, minimum an hour of rapid eye movement a night, hopefully less than 30 minutes of sleep disruption a night. I think those are important. And if you have a Fitbit, and as you mentioned, you have an aura, whatever works for you, if you can keep track of your sleep and understand how important the quality of sleep is, because if we don't sleep enough and well enough, there's a number of hormonal things that happen. There's hormones called ghrelin and leptin and cortisol. And the first one, it affects our appetite and we don't sleep well enough. We're ravenous the next day. And the second one affects fat metabolism and we don't sleep well enough, our body's less efficient at burning fat. And the third one affects our immune system and inflammation. And so all of these things are negatively impacted from not sleeping enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you recommend. We've had this conversation before, Fitbit versus Aura Ring. Do you think that they're both sufficient? Or Apple Watch? I don't know if that one measures sleep. I've been using a Fitbit for a decade. 
I find it to be very accurate and reliable. They have a lot of other things like an EDA scan that I started to use recently, which talks about your the way your body's reacting to stress. You can actually measure the um, the stress through electroconductivity. It's got a, a lot of components that I find very helpful for me. Uh, some people who say, I don't want, you know, I like to wear a nice watch and I don't want to wear a wristband. They go for a ring. Um, and so for some people, they like that and that works well for them. I think there's a little bit of a debate as to the accuracy sometimes uh, of the ring. Some people use the, uh, their phone that has a built-in app. Sometimes that can help. You know, at the end of the day, if one is slightly more accurate than the other, great. But just having numbers. So if it's off, it's always going to be off, which is okay. Mm-hmm. So as long as you say, okay, I know my a- Apple Watch is, it over tells me by 10%. Just always get 10% more steps. Mm-hmm. It's simple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Three. What's number three? Three is screen time. The screen time, that blue light that emanates from our screens, our laptops, our tablets, our phones, it plays havoc with our neurotransmitters. It affects our sleep. It affects um, our mood. The alerts that we get from our technology tax our adrenals. You know, I think it's really important. I used to tell people an hour a day, no technology. I've now changed that to two hours a day. And I really think the first 30 minutes of your day, there should be no technology. The last hour of your night, there should be no technology. You can still watch a TV, but I want the TV across the room and I don't want anything stressful on. No news, nothing that's going to make you, nothing like this. I like to zone out to mindless comedies that I've seen many times before or Love Island, the UK version. Seriously, that's what you're watching now? (laughs) I've been watching Love Island, UK version. I'm on season eight. There's 50 oh episodes a season. I think I'm like I'm 400 season for 400 episodes in. That's impressive. Over what amount of time have you done this? I've watched it almost every single night for almost two years. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Because when COVID hit and the stress of the world and the uncertainty and crime yeah. is up and all this stuff, everyone's stressing. I just turn on that show. I burn five, six thousand brain cells. Uh-huh. I'm, all I'm thinking about is oh my gosh, you know, are they going to end up with each other? Oh, this new person's coming into the island. Are they going to change the whole vibe? So you get stressed though, once you're invested in these people? I mean, it's a very superficial stress. It's more, I'm more mocking them. Like how bad is your life that you're on this show kind of thing? (laughs) Yeah. I hope you don't have any like future clients that are contestants on that show. 100% I will. It was funny. We saw one yesterday, the Four Seasons on Doheny. I recognized him and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go up and talk to him. And my wife said, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to say? You didn't do it? No, I, I didn't. Oh, do it. Missed opportunity. I was starstruck. Yeah, I get it. I mean, think I about it. the talent that it takes, the years of training for him to be on that reality show. I feel um, like those are some of the best actors, actually. Right? On those shows, yeah. I haven't seen Love Island specifically, but like, I don't know, some of those people in The Bachelor and... These reality people are, I, th- I think that's some of the finest acting. Reality is always stranger and more interesting than fiction. And um, I used to have a reality show. I had a show with Khloe Kardashian for a few years. And I can tell you that some of the stuff we saw on that show, you can't write this stuff. Mm-hmm. You, you can't make it up. So um, you're talking about Revenge Body, right? Somebody sent me a message today actually from Revenge Body 
because I said that you were coming on and she was like, tell him that I still do my steps every day. Uh, <laughs> I have to find his name. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And then <laughs> I had another reality show many years ago, 10 years ago, called The Revolution. It was a daytime talk show on ABC, Monday through Friday, hands down. And I should have a plaque for this somewhere in my office. It's the worst show in the history of daytime television. I don't know if they make plaques or awards for that, but I should have one somewhere here in my I office. There's, um, I can't remember the name of like a, a Razzie or something. Yeah, I should have a Razzie. Like the, you should have a Razzie. I actually went with Halle Berry to accept her Razzie for Catwoman. Uh-huh. And she actually, she was really appreciative for it. You know, so yeah. Like so the fourth one. habit, mm-hmm. hopefully Hallie doesn't hear this. Um, the fourth habit is food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a million diets. There's the South Beach diet, the Atkins, the Dome, the Pritikin, the Paleo, the Caveman diet, the Cabbage Soup diet, the Beverly Hills Cookie diet. There's every single diet. I've read most of the pop culture diet books in the last few decades. And all of them work for some people for short periods of time. Most of them are not sustainable. They're not balanced. And the ones that are, are basically the same diet, just called different names. But I tell people it's important, rather than focusing on what you should avoid, focus on what you should have. And rather than you know counting calories, focusing on your hand. So protein, fiber, and healthy fat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Little snacks when needed. So breakfast, for example, or or lunch or dinner, here's the four criteria that you need to have every meal. Protein, approximately the mass of your hand. So my hand is bigger than your hand. I'm going to have more protein in my meal than you. Imagine that it's cut off right here this much. You can also make a fist, but approximately this much eggs or fish or chicken right around here. The second, unlimited vegetables as many as you want. There's no limit to the amount of vegetables. Just make sure you're not loading them up with, you know, heavy sauces or creamy sauces or too much oil. The third is up to a palmful of carbohydrate and specifically these carbohydrates. It's either a high fiber fruit. So that's a raspberry, strawberry, blackberry, pomegranate, kiwi, anything with an edible skin or an edible seed or citrus. So that's almost any fruit with the exception of melon and tropical fruits and grapes. The second is legumes, so either beans or lentils. The third is either a whole grain, quinoa, millet, oat, amaranth, teff, rice, farro. And the fourth is a sweet potato with the skin. So any of those four up to a palmful. The last and final part of a healthy meal is healthy fat, approximately the mass of your thumb from the base of your thumb to the tip of your thumb, right over here. So that's avocados, nuts, seeds, olives. Those are the pillars of a healthy meal. I know that I have a lot of plant-based people who listen to me. So protein on a plant-based diet, how would you navigate that? I'm surprised they have the energy to listen to this interview. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Everyone, please just if everyone gets upset by anything, it's like life is too short. No, I think um, they all have a pretty good sense of humor. I think we're safe with this audience. Okay, good. I think the, the popularity of a plant-based diet certainly was elevated when, the, uh, when Campbell wrote the book, The China Study. And, and he talked about the, uh, the really long lifespan of the Chinese population and how they don't really eat a lot of animal fat and how they have a lot of plant-based uh, foods, rice and vegetables. 
that tells part of the story. But then if you look at the Japanese diet, they're the largest consumers of fish in the world and massive consumers of eggs. And then when you look at the Mediterranean diet, probably the healthiest diet in the world other than the Japanese diet, massive consumption of fish and eggs and dairy. And when you look at the Scandinavian diets, you know, Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark, Iceland, uh, also amongst the healthiest populations in the world, longest living, lowest incidence of diabetes and heart disease and cancers, the largest consumers of dairy in the world. So I don't think there is a scientific reason to become a plant-based person from a health perspective. That being said, there is an argument to be made about being a plant-based person from an environmental perspective, a religious perspective, a personal philosophy perspective, and I respect that. And whatever your beliefs are, there is a way to live a healthy diet based on the limitations that you have ahead of you. If you are a staunch vegan, you can live a long, healthy life. It just takes a lot of work and a lot of know-how because you need to understand what complementary proteins are. You need to understand where all your macro and micronutrient deficiencies might be from cutting out certain food groups and then make sure you find those foods and have them. So as from a plant-based person, you obviously, if you are a vegan, you obviously have some baseline of knowledge about where to get your proteins from and replace the animal proteins with those vegan proteins. I will tell you this, there is something called the biological value of protein. The biological value of protein was a graph or chart created about 30 years ago, 35 years ago that looked at the quality of proteins. And the higher the quality of protein, essentially the less of it you need. The lower the quality of the protein, the more of it you need. Animal proteins are by far the highest quality of proteins. They have all the essential amino acids. Your body can assimilate them, uptake them, turn them into tissue. Vegetable sources of protein tends to be the lowest quality. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying what makes vegetable proteins so healthy is that they tend to have a lot of fiber. The problem is fiber inhibits the ability for our body to digest things. There's also missing some of the essential amino acids. So that's something to think about. So if you are a vegan, make sure you really know your stuff, uh, educate yourself, understand where vegans or plant-based people tend to miss certain nutrients and make sure you fill those gaps. That's it. What snacks do you like? <laughs> really simple. I, I like a lot of, so I try and do one sweet snack a day and one savory snack a day. My sweet snack tends to be in the morning. It's an apple with peanut butter, as an example, or I'll have uh, half of a smoothie. And my savory snack in the afternoon is usually some kind of vegetable thing or nuts. I love jicama. You know, I was telling you that. So I've been, lately I've been doing jicama with tagine, the little Mexican seasoning with lime. I do cut veggies and I'll make an edamame guacamole where I'll take one avocado, a, a cup of hulled edamame, some seasoning blended together, and I'll dip my veggies in that. I'll do 20 almonds or cashews. Uh, so I, I tend to do one sweet, one savory. And I think snacking though is actually helpful because our blood sugar remains stable throughout the day. We're less hungry come mealtime. And when you're less hungry come mealtime, you're less likely to make poor decisions and overeat. You're not eating because, gosh, I'm ravenous. I haven't eaten in seven, eight hours. You're like, you know what? I'm ready for dinner. I'm going to have dinner. I'm going to have control. I'm going to make good choices because my blood sugar is not plummeting.
You guys will hear in this episode that Harley is not a fan of juicing. In fact, it's one thing that he told me not to do when we started working together because so often these juices and these green juices even can have a lot of sugar and lose a lot of their fiber and nutrients. But I do like starting my day with greens. So I have been having athletic greens for a while now, specifically their latest iteration, AG1. It's a super simple way to get vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens all without the high sugar and without taking a bunch of pills. So one scoop of Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. It's easily absorbable, and it's a really easy, convenient way to get all of these ingredients without having to take a lot of pills. And it can help support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. So the way that I work this into my routine is I usually have it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. So I'll just put it into a shaker. Sometimes I add a couple pieces of ice and that's it. I've really come to crave it. I love the flavor and I especially love their travel packs when I'm traveling because usually if I'm traveling on the go, I don't really know what I'm going to be eating. I'm eating out a lot and I just feel like I'm covering all my bases before I even start my day. So another great thing about Athletic Greens is that it's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free. It also, as I mentioned, contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. It can help support better sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity and alertness. And it's just this one little micro habit that can really affect so many different areas of your life. And it's affordable. It costs less than $3 a day versus buying like, I don't know, an eight to $10 juice and then also getting all of that sugar and everything. And it's an investment in your health. So If you want to try Athletic Greens, they have a great deal right now for my listeners. You can get a free year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash blonde files. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash blonde files, and you can take ownership over your health. Let's talk about bloating for a minute. I know this is something that so many people struggle with. It used to be a huge issue for me. Not so much anymore because I kind of figured out what my triggers were when it comes to food. And also there were a lot of lifestyle things triggering my bloating, like stress for one, which is a huge one. But I still get it occasionally if I eat like a really big meal or like yesterday, for example, I was recipe testing all day. I was eating all day. And I was making recipes over and over. Plus, I was having my regular meals and then I had a half a cookie after dinner. So by the end of the day, I was just feeling really full and uncomfortable. So of course, I took three of my array bloat pills and I woke up this morning and I felt so much better. So I've been talking about these for a while. They really work. They work super fast too. Like they worked within 20 minutes of me taking them last night. And I just love them. So there are obviously a lot of root causes for bloating. If you're feeling like it's really painful, it's really impacting your life, definitely seek professional help. But if you just get that kind of uncomfortable feeling or if you eat something that you don't normally eat, these are a great option. They were actually created for food freedom, which I love. Like you can 
eat the foods that you want to eat without worrying about the effects. So Array bloat pills were created to help women and men feel their best so that they can be their best through targeted products, which are 100% natural, filler-free, organic, and formulated by a naturopathic doctor. And the bloat capsules in particular contain five herbs and a fruit-based digestive enzyme. It's completely laxative-free and it's designed to optimize digestion and help whether you've had a plant-based meal or something heavier like a pizza or a pasta or if you ate all of the things like I did yesterday. The other nice thing about Array that I love is that their products are super chic. So they look great on your beauty shelf or in your bag. You can get a subscription where you can refill monthly and they're also super sustainable. So I know that that's something a lot of people are cognizant about, especially moving into a new year. So if you want to try Array, just go to Array.com, A-R-R-A-E.com and use the code BlondeFiles at checkout for 10% off your first one-time purchase or 25% off your first month of a subscription. Again, that's array.com and the code is BlondeFiles for 10% off your first one-time purchase or 25% off the first month of your subscription. Number five is push something, pull something, challenge your muscles, resist, I say at least five minutes a day. Now, some people can do longer workouts every other day, depending on your fitness level, your goals, your time that you have. It's important that we we strengthen our muscles, our ligaments, our tendons, our bones. And resistance exercise includes anything from training with your own body weight, dumbbells, barbells, cables, bands, uh, yoga, Pilates, all of these things are resistance training. There is a massive uh, amount of miseducation for the general public when they think about, oh, I just want to train body weight because I don't want to big, get big instead of weights. Your body doesn't know what the resistance is when you're doing it. If you do a pull-up with your own body weight, that is exponentially more resistance than doing a pull-down with weights. Your body's actually being exposed to more weight. You're, you, you know, it's more difficult. It's harder. Um, so just because something's weights versus body weight doesn't make it like it's going to be bulkier or bigger or easier or more difficult. You need all kinds of resistance. The fear that some women have about weight training is they are going to get big. It doesn't happen like that. That was another like major question that I got over and over again, how to lift weights without getting bulky. Building muscle mass is one of the hardest things that you can do. I have men who come to me, they, they would be so happy if they could put on two pounds of muscle a year, every year, that would be incredible. Putting on muscle is tough. And here's the main factors. Number one, hormones. Men put on more muscle than women because we have more testosterone for the most part. This, and now some female athletes who take male hormones, they get big muscles like female bodybuilders and certain female Olympians. That's why you see their big, big muscles. It's because they're taking male hormones to get big muscles. The second is diet. If you're renovating a house, you're not adding square footage. If you want to add square footage to your house, you need more building materials, extra wood, extra drywall, extra framing, extra stucco. Same thing with our body. If you want to renovate your body, change its composition, it's very different than making your body bigger. If you want to make your body bigger, you need to eat a lot more food. You need more building blocks to build a bigger body. 
if you're not eating or overeating calories, it doesn't matter how much weight training you do, you can't get bigger. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the matter cannot be created nor destroyed. You can't just make a bigger body out of nothing. The third is training volume. So back in my youth, I was a bodybuilder. Bodybuilding training or hypertrophy training, as it's called, is we pick a body part a day. Let's say it's chest. We will do five to six exercises with five to six sets per exercise, 20 to 30 sets for that one body part during that workout. So as long as you're a woman who's not taking testosterone, not consuming massive amounts of extra calories, and not training like a bodybuilder, you're not going to get bigger. You're going to get denser, tighter, leaner. And if you look at Catwoman, when I trained Hallie for Catwoman, she trained heavy and she got smaller and leaner than she's ever been. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Mila Jovovich in Resident Evil. Same thing with Rachel Weiss and Constantine. I can go on and on and on. So don't mm-hmm. be scared of challenging your body. Otherwise, you're going to end up doughy and soft and weak. And you're going to die. No. <laughs> Okay. So I want to jump to listener questions that we get some of these in. And one of the other main questions that I got was, what is the best way to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time? That's a good question. I think it's hard to tell your body two different things at the same time. But if you do, just be prepared for slow but meaningful results. And so by doing these five things we talked about, you know, you'll achieve that you know, you'll, you'll achieve a tighter tone or leaned body. If you're trying to put on muscle mass per se, you, you kind of need to eat and train for muscle mass. And that's different than eating to lose body fat. So sometimes those two things can happen together, but very slowly over extended periods of time. When I'm working with an actor who has to be big and muscular on camera, we'll break up their diet and training into two phases. One is the bulking phase And the other is the cutting phase and the diet and the training will change for those two phases. Okay. I actually have a question about that out of curiosity. If you're training with an actor for like a really specific role, like a Catwoman or some kind of action thing where they want to add muscle, lose fat, like really manipulate their body into this specific shape. Do you count or track macros or calories or can it all be done without that? You know, using my hand is sort of a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. When I'm working with an actor and often they're, we're on set and there's a chef on set or a caterer on set, I've been doing this so long, I kind of, the macros are all here in my head. Mm-hmm. But I think that the average person out there shouldn't get caught up in macros. Mm-hmm. It's not a way to live your life. No, you it fucking um, sucked. I did it years ago and it was horrendous. 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 So. No. And also what I figured out, and I've talked about this so often, but it really got into like disordered territory because if I was at 1600 and I could eat all this food then I could figure out where to cut another 200 calories, then I'm at 1400 and I'm still feeling okay. And then I can go down to 12. And then you feel like if you eat anything over the macros allotted for whatever day, you're going to like blow up or something. If you do decide to stop, it's so hard to get those numbers out of your head. Mm-hmm. They do stay. I could still look at something and go, oh, that's nine grams yeah. of fat. 20 grams. I always, there's all this software out there for calories. And I just say, honestly, just take any woman in my life who's had an eating disorder, which is almost all of them, mm-hmm. sadly, 
and they're more accurate than any of the apps out there. You know, I'll ask my sister-in-law or somewhere, you know, I'll be on the phone, like half an avocado, 120 calories. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a party trick. I'll call anyone yeah. in my family. I'll ask them questions. They'll have the answer right away. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think the minutiae of it all is the way to go. I think really gestalt, you know, this sort of bigger picture. There's mm-hmm. this, there's this old saying, six blind men were asked to describe an elephant. So the first one comes into the room and he, first thing he grabs is a tusk and he feels and touches the tusk and he describes the tusk. And he believes that's what's in the room, this thing that's a tusk. Next guy comes in and he grabs the trunk and all he feels is the trunk. And that's all he knows that's in the room. And he describes the trunk and he's like, in this room, there is this trunk. And so each man that comes in grabs a different part of the elephant and touches it and feels it and describes what he feels. At the end of the day, they were all right. And they were also all wrong. What's in the room is an elephant. It's not a tusk. It's not a trunk. It's not a leg. It's not an earlobe. It's an elephant. And when you look at your diet and you just hyper-focus on one ingredient and one little thing, you lose track of the big picture of the diet. There's really no such thing as a bad food. Mm -hmm. There's just a bad diet. I'm curious what your take is on food combining. That is something that's like super trendy right now in the wellness world, having a moment from my understanding and having other experts on the show, like there's no perfect carbohydrate, there's no perfect protein, no perfect fat. So you're, even if you're following quote unquote food combining, like it's not actually happening. It's doo-doo. Doo-doo, got it. Yeah, it originally came from blood type, diet for your blood type, I think 20, 25 years ago, which immediately, if you go to Harvard website, Mayo Clinic, uh, Cornell, all the schools of, of nutrition, in academia, they they dispelled it right away. They're like, this makes no sense. This is not founded in science whatsoever. This is someone trying to come up with an interesting diet. How do you explain lentils? Lentils are one third carbohydrate, one third protein, one third fat. Where does that fall? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can never eat it. How do you describe peanut butter, which is a combination of you know protein and fat and carb- very few foods are a hundred percent of one macronutrient, right? And some of the healthiest foods in the world are a combination. Look at salmon. Salmon's 50% protein, 50% fat. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm combining foods. How do you uncombine the, what do you? So I, I think there's, you know, it's, it's one of those kitschy little things. And I'm, I'm writing my ninth book right now. And the book is really about falling in love with carbohydrates again. And, um, and when you take a look at research, the research has always, without exception, supported the notion that carbohydrates are not only good for you, but they're good for you as you lose weight. And they're good for you to, you know, for so many reasons. And I think along the way, people have just been so desperate for quick fixes of oversimplification of food that this zero carb or low carb lifestyle that Dr. Atkins made popular in the fifties and sixties, who sadly enough, and, and by the way, I'm sure he was a wonderful man, who died a hundred pounds overweight and of heart disease. No way. Yeah. I didn't know Again, that. I, I hope he rests in peace and his family as well. And I would never, you know, I'm sure he had good intentions to help people, but he was a cardiovascular surgeon. And the problem is a lot of his patients that came for heart surgery were so obese. He needed to come up with some rapid, quick weight loss thing so they could drop weight so they could go under general anesthesia and, and have heart surgery. So this Atkins diet, this ultra low carbohydrate diet, was designed really only to be done for 30 days. And it wasn't healthy. It wasn't designed to be healthy. It was designed to get these people to drop weight so he could do heart surgery and save their lives. He had good intentions. 
But along the way, other people who maybe only had 10 pounds to lose would do it and like, wow, I lost 10 pounds in five days. This Atkins thing is great. Now they don't stick to it. The breath smells terrible because they're in ketosis. You know, they're, they're eating uh, beef with bacon and cheese, but they can't have carrots and they can't have red peppers because that's bad for you. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the whole world. Any diet that tells you fruit is the devil, run. Any diet that says there's certain vegetables that are bad for you, and that includes, you know, Stephen Gundry's ridiculous mm-hmm. diet where he's like, cauliflower and broccoli are going to kill everyone. I mean, everyone has this part of their brain of common sense. And too often we don't pay attention to that common sense because we're looking for that interesting new thing from that new guru of the moment. If you take a step back and you say, do you have any nieces or nephews or kids or friends who have kids? Ask yourself if it's a cleanse. Would I want my seven-year-old to do this cleanse? Of course I wouldn't. Then why would you do it? Would I want them to cut, you know, apples out of their diet because they're going to, you know, no. So why would you do it? And I think if we just go back to general common sense, eating healthy would be so much easier. Yeah. It feels like as far as those diets go, it feels like if someone can kind of hone in on one specific thing and make that like the bad thing, the more it takes off, like the lectin thing or like nightshades or carbs or, you know, whatever it is, there's so many. There's so many. And I, I, there's so much I want to say, I can't say, but there's a lot of people I work with who are public figures that have businesses and promote certain ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you those people don't do those ridiculous things and they don't eat those ridiculous things. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a, a business thing. Yeah, it, it, it's a crazy world. And the other problem is in the United States, especially, we are getting nutrition advice from the wrong people. We're getting nutrition advice from chiropractors mm-hmm. and doctors. You know how much nutrition training a medical doctor has? It's a 90 minute lecture in first year med school. That's it. Or we're getting them from trainers, which should not be giving nutrition advice. Or influencers. Oh my gosh. Or influencers. <laughs> we can say it. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I'm just like, there's a skew of models th- that I work with and that, you know, are showing things that I know they're not eating because I'm doing their diets. <laughs> but by the way, people would freak out. They saw how great you look. And if you told them you eat five times a day, mm-hmm. people might think you're starving yourself. If people would be shocked to find out you eat five times a day, four to five times a day. And dessert. And dessert. Oh, and you have dessert, right? And and you're not running marathons and you're not doing CrossFit and you're not cleansing every day. And you're not waking up in the morning and having hot water with lemon and and, and apple cider and you know and and juicing celery. <laughs> and I have a lot of carbs too. Yeah. As you know. You have good carbs because. There's nothing wrong with carbs. Sugar, minimize. Carbs, good. Protein, good. Healthy fat, good. Should people aim for one gram of protein per pound? So because I'm Canadian, I go by metrics. So don't make fun of me. I got to work backwards. The recommended daily allowance or the recommended nutritional intake is approximately 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. I'll make it easy. I'm exactly 100 kilograms. Mm-hmm. So the, the government recommendations for me is at least 80 grams of protein a day. If you're active, those numbers go up. We now know that number is probably closer to 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day, at least a gram of protein per kilogram. 
So someone like you, I imagine you're half of me. So let's just assume you're half of me. You should probably be consuming, you know, about at least 60 grams of protein a day. And that's 20 at each meal. Mm-hmm. Simple enough. Another question that I got was, is cardio necessary for weight loss? I don't even use the term cardio. Cardio makes you think of having to huff and puff and sweat and, and doing things like spinning. And, and I just use the term steps and is doing steps, whether it be walking, jogging, dancing, ellipticaling, is that important for weight loss? It is. While calories in and calories out is one part of weight loss, obviously the composition of those calories is another part. There's a lot of other parts. So yeah, we need to burn calories as we consume the right calories. Mm-hmm. Someone else asked if things like cycling or the elliptical can count as steps. Yeah. The elliptical, yeah, I always say weight bearing is best. Mm -hmm. There's nothing bad. Cycling is not bad, but I do prefer walking over cycling, running over cycling, jogging over cycling, elliptical over cycling, stair climbing over cycling. We sit too much in our lives. We are just sitting way too much. The idea that your exercise is based on you sitting again and you're hunched over the wheel and you're overusing your quads and calves and you're ending up with no glute work whatsoever. I'm not a huge fan of cycling. Again, I'm, I'm not telling you to stop, but I'm saying you, you definitely should do weight bearing as, as much as possible. You know, what we didn't talk about at all is the posterior chain. So this is your whole, <laughs> your whole thing, Harley. I made a post today on the posterior chain. I know. Um, I know you did. We'll share that when this comes out so that people can access that easily. But something else that you told me when I first came to see you was that I have essentially like overtrained the front of my body Mm -hmm. and it's caused me to, you know, have deficiencies in other parts of my body and have poor posture along with being on a phone and working at a screen all day and all of these things. How and when did you decide to focus on this, especially for women? Two things, well, really three things did it. Number one for me went back in the day when I was a bodybuilder, I had a really strong chest. And it almost seemed like the stronger my chest got, the less lean I looked. It was a very weird thing. And it dawned upon me that I was getting so anterior dominant that my shoulders would roll forward and my chest, my pecs, even though they were all muscle, they were essentially sagging because my shoulders were rolled forward. And so I developed a shoulder injury. To rehab the shoulder injury, I had to stay away from chest and biceps for about six months, it killed me. There was nothing worse and harder than I've ever done. I can't do my chest and biceps like the most, you know, aggro thing in the world. But lo and behold, as my shoulder got better and as I stayed away from doing chest and biceps, but focused still on doing my upper back and my triceps and all the muscles in the back of my upper body, all of a sudden my chest looked leaner than it's ever looked. It looked better than it's ever looked. And I thought, wow, interesting by me, doing a lot more of the back of my upper body than the front, the front of my body's never looked better. And then I had a second moment where Rick Fox, the basketball player who played for the Lakers, every single day of his college career, his high school career, you know, as a world champion, he stretched his hamstrings 40 minutes a day, every day. And he had the tightest hamstrings I've ever seen. And his last year in the league, I said, I'm going to ask you to do something. You're going to have to trust me. Your hamstrings can't be any less flexible than they are now. So whatever you're doing, is not work. 
So can you just have an open mind? He said, okay. I said, I don't want you to stretch your hamstrings at all anymore. He said, well, how they, I need to, I can barely move. No hand, no hamstring stretching, but I'm going to tell you no squats and no lunges. We're not going to do any quads. We're only going to strain your hamstrings and your glutes in your lower body. He's like, I got nothing to lose. And I would say four to six months after we started that, he could bend over from the hips, put his palms flat on the floor. His what? hamstrings had never, ever been that flexible again. So that was sort of the second big aha moment that I had. That's my goal. To but do that. You'll, you'll be there. You know how, yeah, but my hamstrings are so tight because I'm so quad dominant, I think. Quad and calf dominant. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're going to be you're easy. You're going to Rick Fox. get more and more. You are going to be Rick Fox. You are going to be a, a six foot eight basketball champion. Perfect. I promise That's you. That's my you, expectation. That's why I'm paying you. So you have my word. <laughs> Did you ever see Team America? Mm -hmm. So Team America was this movie. It won a couple Oscars. It was a puppet movie. Mm -hmm. It was this really schlocky. And so in the movie, this the, the female lead, her fiance was shot by terrorists like the year earlier, and she had, her heart is closed. And she meets this guy, and he's so great. And she's like, I just can't open my heart to you because I'm scared if you die, then I'll never, you know, I'll never be okay again. And she says, if you promise me that you'll never die, uh, I will have sex with you right now. And he looks at her, he's like. I will never die. <laughs> so I'm looking at you like, I guarantee you, you will be a six foot eight world champion. I promise you. So I think that was my second aha moment. And then since then, between laptops, cell phones, social media, sitting, eating, driving, everything we do is in front of us. And our posture has never been worse. I'm seeing young people with horrible posture. And so... I've really had a lot of good results by having people come in and focusing on less like my female clients, as you know, we never do chest flies or bench press or any of that stuff that will bring you forward. We do tons of back to pull you back. We do lots of glute work, hamstring work, lower back work, all those things to pull you back, which is the opposite of what we used to do. And it not only makes people look better, but it reduces our chance of injury and improves posture. Okay. I have a million more questions, but I know we're out of time. So I want to ask you, I'm having trouble narrowing it down, but what is one thing that people should stop doing when it comes to their lifestyle and one thing that they should start doing? Good question. I think people should stop looking for the quick fix instead of saying, I have this goal, you know, I want to be two weeks from now X. I, I'd rather you look at, I want to be one year from today X. And I know it's tough to do because people want immediate gratification, but they inevitably do so at the expense of long-term suffering. So have a plan, make sure that plan is sustainable, moderate, enjoyable. Ideally, you have a partner to do it with, whether it be your trainer, your friend, your coworker, somebody that's a good accountability partner somebody that can say, Hey, I know you don't want to work out today, but let's go. Or what are you eating? What are you doing? Or why are you going to bed at two in the morning? You know, someone to tell you those things. I think that's the most important thing people should do. And definitely, you know, avoiding quick fixes, whether it be cleanses or fasts, stay away from juice. And there's no such thing as a magic ingredient for all you out there who are like, Oh my God, my acai bowl, the greatest thing. No, it's not. It's not right. even healthy for you. And it's gross. 
I've had three acai bowls in a row, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's, I never have them. And for some reason, it's been the only thing that I've wanted (laughs) since I've been under the weather. It's like the only thing that I can stomach. If anyone's been to Brazil, FYI. What's that? But it's why I haven't been emailing you. Well, so I'm, I'm, you see my face, my hands are down here texting you. WTF. <laughs> Hold on. Let me hit the app. It just hit <laughs> Oh, you really texted me. <laughs> oh, I have like, you like, you just dropped the bomb, but I didn't, it was straight face. Like, mm, interesting. What the? F- <laughs> Anyone out there, you know, whether it be coconut oil, whether it be acai berries, I'm trying to think of all these magic ingredients that people don't understand or are not that magic. The countries in the world with actually the highest obesity, highest heart disease in the world are the countries that consume the most coconut fats. Coconut fat is, is just as bad for you, if not worse than animal fat. It's highly saturated in a bad way. You don't need it. Don't put it in your coffee. I mean, oh God, I could go on and on and on, but stay away from, there's no such thing as magic ingredients. What about ghee and coffee? Don't worry, I don't Ghee, ghee and coffee, like a bulletproof coffee. Oh, well, ghee, as you know, is butter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, AKA butter. It's butter in your coffee. Um, mm-hmm. If I was to say, do you start your day with a tablespoon of butter and a cup of coffee? This is the common sense part of us. Uh-huh. Do you think that's good? <laughs> Does butter have any magical things that are going to make your life better? It's, it's you know, what is a tablespoon, 100 calories of just saturated fat. Now, I'm all for butter. I have nothing against any one ingredient. And if you want to have butter, have the best butter that you can get. Get that French butter that's salted, that's incredible, that's cream. And have it in a way you'll enjoy it. But don't throw it in coffee and ruin the coffee and ruin the butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is such a waste of butter. Yeah, such a waste. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. We'll have to do a part B. I was just going to say that we didn't really get to many of the listener questions, but this is the foundational stuff. And then we'll, um, we'll come back and do it again. So where can everybody find you? On Instagram, Harley Pasternak. My MySpace is, um, Instagram's probably the best. And my website is harleypasternak.com. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. I'm always posting about each episode there or over on my personal page at Ariel Laurie.